Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's Hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Hello to you. All right. I want to talk for a moment here um, at the outset about that which is lost in translation. I want to talk about communication. I want to talk about language. I want to talk about measurements, how we measure things, what we measure. So if I asked you, you know, a super personal question, like, how old are you? You would say to yourself, well, now this is something that we all measure the same way. Yeah. Unless you're measuring life the way uh, some people do, which is um, measuring birth as you're you're already one. Like, it's your first year of life, and so you're already one when you're born. Well, uh, obviously, if that's the way you're counting, then I'm counting differently because I'm not counting you as one until you've lived a full year right? Outside the womb. Um, And yet, when we talk about the way that we engage globally um, through some USAID programs, we talk about the support of women and children in the first thousand days of a child's life. Well, guess what? We start counting that at conception because we see that woman and her new child through to their second birthday because that gets us to the thousand days. So how are you counting the days of your life? Like, what are you measuring? When when do you start measuring it? This is an interesting um, conversation about how we count things and how we measure things that gets us into a conversation about something you're going to absolutely hear in the headline news today. And that is that some of the world's top scientists have released their latest report um, on the subject of climate change. It is, um, hmm, it's it's a pretty strong warning. They're they're predicting, you know, severe disaster if we don't make radical changes right now. Um, but so let me again get back to how we measure things. And let me ask you, do you think in metric measurements or do you think in imperial measurements? And you say to yourself, I don't know. I just measure things. Yes, but somebody taught you how to measure things at some point in time. And so if I ask you how much you weigh, which obviously is a question I would never ask you, but if I ask you how much you weigh, are you going to answer me in kilos or pounds? If I ask you how far it is for you to drive to meet me halfway between where you are and where I am, are you going to measure that um, in kilometers or miles? How are you going to answer me if I ask you, what's the temperature where you are right now? I'm going to answer all of those questions in what's called imperial measurements. I think in inches and feet. I think in miles and pounds. And I think in Fahrenheit, not Celsius. And that means that I have a really hard time um, responding to reports when they are issued in measurements that I don't think in and I don't understand. Um, And so this particular 
climate change report is, you know, it's all in Celsius because actually most of the world thinks in metric. They don't think in imperial uh, measurement like I think. And so how do you think like where does your I mean, that's a it's a like you and I measure things instinctively one way or the other. Um, We're not bilingual. uh, Many of us, most of us, when it comes to the way we measure things. But the world thinks in Celsius and communicates in Celsius when it talks about, you know, um, the degree of something. So I just want you to think about your body temperature for just a moment. I want you to think about your body temperature. And I want you to think about um, an increase in your body temperature of 2.7 degrees. All right. Because when they tell us that the earth could warm by 1.5 degrees Celsius, uh, you know, uh, or 1.5 degrees Celsius above acceptable levers, levels, that is isn't meaningless. It's totally meaningless. So let's put it this way. If the earth had a body temperature <laughs> and its body temperature started running a fever and that fever was 1.5 degrees Celsius, it would be 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, which is how I think. So if you ran a fever at 2.7 degrees above normal, your body temperature would be 101.3. And if you were running a fever, you personally, of 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit, would you feel bad? Yes. Would you do something to bring your fever down? Yes, you would try, right? So that's that's one way of helping us think about climate change like if the planet's actually getting warmer i'm not going to say why and i'm not going to get into all of the i'm I'm not getting i am not getting into all that it's just a question of whether or not it's actually getting hotter it could be an absolute natural cycle i'm not i'm not having that debate right now what i'm saying is can we understand this issue um in a way that at least translates across the celsius fahrenheit divide that's my question today Can we have a conversation and liken it to how hard it is sometimes for us to translate from Hebrew and Greek to English or from Jesus's Aramaic to the language that you speak today? Maybe you're relying on a Latin translation by St. Jerome in 382, and you're not even relying on the original Hebrew or the Greek because so much is lost in translation between there and here. And beyond language, how many idioms do we miss or cultural references that the people of the day would have instantly understood because it's lost in translation. There are opportunities here for you and I to enter into the conversations of the day without actually getting into a debate about whether or not we ought to eliminate our dependence upon fossil fuel, which I'll just tell you in advance is where that climate report goes. Allie Patterson's going to join us next. We're going to talk about how to stay standing. We're going to talk about the foundation of our lives. So, is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Or have you built your life on some shifty sands? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So, if I stand, let me stand on the promise. You me through. All right. Allie Patterson is joining us now. The book is How to Stay Standing, Three Essential Practices for Building Faith That Lasts. Allie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just talk about the foundation upon which our 
lives are built and maybe how you personally learned the lessons that you now share in how to stay standing. Oh, (laughs) sure. Yes. I learned the hard and painful way, which is part of why I wrote the book, actually. So I would say as far as foundations for our lives go, boy, we can be building on all kinds of different things. And some of them really look absolutely fine for a long time. And that was the case for me. Um, Grew up and I was a good kid. You know, I was like, got good grades, doing my life right, went to college, met a great guy. You know, I was building a version of life that I thought would make me happy and make me successful, whatever that meant to me at the time. And um, I did not really realize that that was very different than building my entire life on Christ. And I I would have said, I believe in God. I, I went to church at least most of the time that I wasn't in college. Um, I may not have gone to church quite as often as I should have in college, but hey, whatever. Um, took a little detour there. But I truly, uh, as I look back, I truly did not know that the way the world tells you to build a life is not mm-hmm. going to put Jesus at as your foundation. And so I thought I did it right. And I ended up in early adulthood and I had all kinds of cracks in um, my character in my, in the way that I was going about my work and all kinds of things. And I was a young married woman and um, I was in a pretty successful corporate career and I ended up in an affair with someone that I worked with. And that really brought everything to light for me. Um, As I figured out, what in the world I was doing and how in the world did I end up here and how did I build my life in such a way that I would ever be the kind of person that would do this. Um, God really began to get a hold of my life and say, like, you've, you did what you thought was the right thing to do and it didn't end up strong enough to stand. Um, Let me, you know, let me help you rebuild this. And so pretty much everything in my life crashed around that time. And um, it was a process of rebuilding truly for the first time with the Lord. And that time in my life was the time by which he kind of got a hold of me again. And I went from what I would say was kind of a passive believer to a follower because I had no, I had no choice. I was either going to try it his way or I was going to stay in a heap because that that's where I was. First of all, um, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for um, your willingness to be vulnerable and share your story. Um, thank you for being a person who now has a testimony of what it looks like to reconstruct your life on the firm foundation of Christ and on God's word. Um, I'd love to talk with you about that next. I'd love for you to um, help us understand how to build our lives um, on God and keep Jesus at the center. Could we address that next, Allie? Absolutely. Great. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, more with Allie Patterson. The book is um, How to Stay Standing, Three Essential Practices for Building a Faith That Lasts. Consider where you have built your life and where you place your hope. Um, Is Jesus the foundation of what you're doing? More next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome your King, Palm Sunday. Sit next to him at the table during the Last Supper. Feel the hurt and betrayal and the agony of death. Be the first to celebrate at the empty tomb on Easter morning. 
Join Faith Radio's Reading the Bible Together Holy Week study as we walk with Jesus to the cross. Get your free study guide and access to the Reading the Bible Together podcast by signing up now at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with Allie Patterson about her book, How to Stay Standing. You can find Allie and connect with her at the Allie, A-L-L-I, theAllyPatterson.com. Um, Allie, uh, talk with us about um, how we do this. So you offer us come here and practice as the, um, you know, the three component parts of this conversation. So can you talk about those? Absolutely. Yeah. Those are actually from the words of Jesus himself straight out of Luke six. And he tells a story about two, it's it's a parable, maybe one that you've heard before about two different builders who build their life in different ways. They they're building a house and um, one of them digs down and lays a foundation on rock. And so when the trouble comes, when the storm hits, that one stands. And he says that that builder, the one who stayed standing, he did three things. He says on the way into the parable, For all those who come to me and hear my word and put it into practice, I will show you what they are like. And that person becomes the wise builder in that story. And so the book really pulls that those three practices apart. They're so simple. I mean, Carmen, they're so simple. This is not this is not like these are things you can start doing today. But Jesus issues an invitation when he says, come. And we're not the only ones he gave that to. He talks to many people through the Gospels, and he he gives that same invitation. So I really dig into what did he mean? Like, I don't want a faith where I just embroider it on, on a pillow and put it on my couch. You know, I want to know what does that mean? What does the practice of coming to him really look like? And then he said, hear my words. So the middle part of the book is very practical, very helpful stuff on like, how do you actually make space and have a have an approach for how you hear the word of God in your everyday life. And the last part might be my favorite. It's practice. He says, you have to put it into practice. If you want to end up standing on rock, boy, you, you have got, you could sit in church your whole life and never really be building on a foundation because you never put the word into practice. So this could mean anything from, you know, um, confessing. It could mean giving. It could mean, acting on a prompting that you think is from the Holy Spirit. And I go through all kinds of, even some kind of fun and wacky things that I've done because I, that's what I felt like, you know, the word, whether it was the written word or the living word was telling me um, and try to put that into practice in your real everyday, messy, regular life. And so that might be my favorite part of the book, just because I have found over the years that I've been truly trying to follow Jesus and and really build my life on him, that it's it's kind of, it, there's always unexpected adventure. I, I actually said to my husband the other day, I wonder how many people could say their career depends on God surprising them with new opportunities. You know, it's just that he, he wants so much to have an experiential relationship with us where we're in this real exchange with a living God. And that's really where the book pushes to, because in order to follow him every day, we have to be willing to take risks. And too many of us don't see ourselves as risk takers. And in order to follow, we're going to have to figure out 
what does it mean to put the word into practice in our life? And that almost always leads us to risk. And so um, that's why I said it ends up kind of fun. I, I think it's, I think of it as more of an adventure and I can see looking back now, I can see how God has set about rebuilding my life, if you will. But it happened in regular everyday moments from everything from very dark and painful to very lighthearted and fun. And, you know, it's more that I'm looking back over my shoulder now going, boy, the, the words in this parable are actually what I've lived. They're, they're just the truth. As I have come to him and heard his word and tried to put it into practice in my life, suddenly I found myself on much more solid ground. I, you know, rebuilt as a person in a marriage with a life boy. And now, you know, I'm unrecognizable from, from the person that I was um, at that kind of dark time in my life. Well, first of all, Ali, again, you know, thank you for being so honest. Thank you for um, like bearing witness to the hope that's within you. Like that's, that's no small thing to, um, to arrive at the place where you can testify um, to the goodness and the grace of God and the transform the transformation in your own life. Um, and so thank you. When you say you're unrecognizable, you're taking me like back to a sermon that my pastor preached a couple of weeks ago because he's talking mm. about like growth. And um, I think that there are those of us that imagine that the growth that God's going to give is going to, you know, well, it's, it's going to still look like, I mean, it's just going to still be me. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a slightly improved version of my former self. <laughs> <laughs> um, not not an utterly transformed, non-recognizable soul. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're describing. And yeah. um and so that that requires um that requires getting up from the heap that you described. Like, right? You mm-hmm. had to you had to at some point arrive at the place where you said, I I don't want to live in in the shambles. I don't want to live yes. in the deconstructed wreck. I I actually want a life that is functional and integrated and, you know, glorifies God and good for me. Like, can you, is it possible you could take us into that interior conversation that you had with yourself? Oh, absolutely. I can actually take you to the very moment where I went, I want something different Mm. because I thought of myself as a good person. I think most of us do until we give ourselves evidence otherwise, right? Like we're, we're incredibly good at self-deception. <laughs> you know, we, we spin all kinds of stories, but I had this one moment where I, I was passing the mirror in my dining room and I caught my own reflection in the mirror and I stopped and I looked at myself and um, I started talking like partly to me at first. And then I realized I'm actually, I'm talking to God. And I started saying first to myself, Hey, this is who you actually are being, regardless of who you thought you were going to be. This is what your life looks like. And I was telling myself, like, you, this what this wasn't me um, putting myself down. This was me telling the brutal, honest truth. I was saying things like, you know, Ali, you've become a liar. Mm. You, you're, you, you have deceived almost everyone that you say that you love. You mm. are an adulterer. That's who you've, that's who you've become doing it your way. And I had this moment in the mirror where I, I switched into speaking to God and I said, I don't want to be this person. This isn't really who I am. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm saying to God, I, I want you to make me 
into who I was supposed to be and mm. who you, you think that I am. And because it can't be this, right? Like I didn't have any idea at the time. I didn't have the right language for it. And I think sometimes we get caught up with, especially if we have a background, like I grew up in church, I had a, a mental image of what God was like. And, um, you know, sometimes we get hung up on who God it has been to us. And in that moment, I just got, I just said, it's got to be better than this. I have mm. got to have a life that's better than this out there somewhere. Like, will you get me to it? And that was the real moment of turnaround because it was just brutally honest. You know, I've had some people say, oh, you shouldn't put yourself down like that. I said, I wasn't putting myself down. I was telling myself the truth for the very first time. This is who you're being. And guess what? You don't have to, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to be this person. And, and I knew though at the time that I couldn't get out on my own, that I didn't know myself or, or the way to goodness and life. I didn't know how to get there. And so the best I had at that moment was just to drop it at God's feet and go, I want something different. Would you show me how to get there? Would you do it? Because I can't do it, obviously, <laughs> right? You know, I, I have so much evidence in front of me that the way I thought I was going to build my life is just not working. And, um, you know, it's in these like beautiful, honest moments with God. They could be really big and dramatic like that, or they could be just driving down the street in your car, being brave enough to say something out loud that you've never said out loud before. And invite God into the reality of your life, you know, whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly. And that, that was that moment of kind of brutal honesty for me where I was like, okay, this is what I've done with myself in my life. I'm, I never thought I would be here and I need you to turn this around because I'm, I'm done. Like I'm not who I thought I was going to be. And uh, yeah, it was, it was in that it was in that internal moment with God that um, I knew when I, when I spoke to him, I knew he would. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was in the, it's in those, those times where we think um, we're at our lowest and God is very happy to come into those places with us. That was genuine for me. And people on the outside didn't believe that for a very long time, as you might imagine. But I knew from that point forward, God and I were together and I had to walk through a lot of mess and a lot of pain and a lot of crap to rebuild my life. And it sometimes I didn't even know exactly where it was all heading, but I knew from that moment forward, I have a God who's in this with me and I want him here. Like I've invited him into this. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he's, he's in yeah, and he's I knew it. I was in. And, and so I knew, and, and my goodness, I mean, we're talking, we're talking long years, lots of left turns, you know, but it didn't matter. It, it only mattered that from that point forward, I knew there's, there's somebody in here with me that can do things I cannot do for myself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, goodness, I look back on, on that time and I'm actually grateful. I know that how weird that sounds, but I'm actually grateful for the, um, for getting all the way to the bottom, because I think once we realize, okay, no, yeah, we you can't, stop. 
Yeah, you stop yeah. trying to redecorate, right? It's not yes, it's not just exactly. about redecorating. It's not about putting a new wreath on the door, right? Yeah. You Correct. you you God took it down to the foundation so that he could yes. from there um rebuild. Something, and that's yes, that's the something only way. something beautiful. Yeah, yes. something beautiful, something substantial. If you want a beautiful, substantial living demonstration of the gospel, Allie Patterson is offering you one and it's herself. Um her story and equipping for you to stay standing three essential practices for building a faith that lasts how to stay standing Allie patterson thank you so much for joining us here on mornings with carmen what a delight thanks for having me carmen thank you absolutely we got to take a quick break for breakpoint there's always a reason to always choose joy All right, I just want to pose a question here uh, and let you stew on it for just a moment. Um, How has the pandemic experience, however you have experienced it, how how has the experience of the world, our nation, your family, you, how has COVID changed you, your life, your work, your church, your family, your feelings about the future? your relationship with God, your view of things. How how have you been changed by something completely out of your control um, in, in the past handful of years? Give give that a moment's thought. And when we um when we when we come back in just a moment, we're we're gonna talk about that. How did COVID change us individually? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. There's an endless uh, stream of content out there about how COVID has changed us. Um, Education and parental involvement dramatically changed. Um, Schooling has changed in, in ways that are really significant and deep. Parents have become much more involved in the education of their children and concern for the education of all children. Um, That might be a, a, a primary and potentially very positive change. Um, changes related to work have been really significant for a huge number of people. And that is a trend that continues. We're literally not going back. We are we are not going back to education the way it was prior to COVID. We're not going back to work as it was prior to COVID. Um and uh, and how we work and the way we work and with whom we work and um, all kinds of uh, effects and trends related to to that. How about relationships? How how about how COVID has changed our relationships? Um, do you know uh, a family that has been broken apart because of differing views? related to vaccines or closures or masks or the origins or like, right? Um, People believe many different things related to many different aspects and families have been divided. Marriages have, um, have come to an end. Parents uh, and grandparents are no longer communicating with their children and grandchildren in ways that they were prior to COVID. 
Um, Members of families and members of churches have said things on social media and to our faces that have divided us in ways that we don't know how to heal from. We don't know how to start over and rebuild those foundations. Um, And how about church? How has your relationship with your local church changed? Or how has your local church changed during or now on this side of COVID? Is your church one of the churches across the country, one of the thousands of churches across the country that is now closed? Maybe your church is consolidating with another congregation in order that you can not only survive but thrive. What does that feel like? Does that feel like a gain or a loss? Does that feel like pruning or growth? Lots of churches um, changing the way that they do things. You know, change isn't always bad, like, right? Timeless message. We're always communicating the timeless gospel, but we're but we're doing it in in timely ways with timely methodologies and you know to reach people in the times in which we live. So how has the communication of the gospel through your church changed during and through COVID? Um, you know, are there digital platforms that your church is now using? How about a return to an analog, you know, face-to-face investment in one another. Like, it's really hard to do discipleship um, unless you are in the life of that other person. So how has that changed? Um, Did your church go home during COVID, right? Like, home church and maybe having really closely knit fellowship with just a handful of other people. And maybe God is really rooting that and growing that and producing good fruit in what now feels more like church at home with with others in a small community than going back to, you know, quote unquote, big church. But are you forsaking the gathering together? Have you begun to imagine in the last few years that your faith is personal and you can experience it in a personalized way to the exclusion of other people? And I want to raise that as a concern. And I want to raise that as a concern because um, while it's true that we come to Christ as individuals, as we come to him, we come as individual members of what he intends be a body, be um, a spiritual house built of any number and variety of living stones. It's not about you and I just being individually holy priests or chosen people or a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, a subject of the king. It is about us being a holy priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, um, and proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And if you're saying to yourself, wow, that sounds a little bit familiar, she's drawing that from somewhere. Yeah, I'm getting this from First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It's essential that you come to him as an individual. 
But what Peter says here is, as you come, as you are coming, as you continue to come, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, right? That's that cornerstone Jesus. That's that foundation of life. That's that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. As you come to him, a living stone, you yourselves, and that's plural, you, yes, as an individual, but as a part of all who come, as you come to him, all of you who come, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are a a chosen race, Peter says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. For what purpose? That you collectively, yes, individually, but collectively, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. However many ways the church may have changed during COVID and however many ways the church may have changed in the last decade and however many ways the church may have changed, you know, I don't know, since your people came to America or how many ways the church has changed since the Reformation or how many ways the church has changed since Christianity became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. Like whatever, however far you want to go back. The church remains this that Peter describes. It remains a people, people who individually become then a people a spiritual house, living stones, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus our Lord, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is who we are. This is who we are, and this is what we have been chosen and made holy to do. If you've wondered about your identity, It's in Christ. If you've wondered about your belonging, it's to the church, the people of God, the household of faith, the body of Christ. This network of living stones across all times and all places and all generations and all nations. If you have wondered what on earth you're on earth to do, it is these two things. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That is your life, by the way, as a living sacrifice, as Paul captures it in Romans chapter 12. And open your mouth. Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is who we are, individually and corporately. And this is what we are in the world to do. Pandemics come and go. (laughs) The church persists. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Um, good, uh, good comments and feedback um, on the text line. Remember, you can always text me 877-933-2484. Um, if you're listening to this as a podcast, if you'd be so kind when you text to make like specific reference, hey, I was listening to the podcast and Carmen said this and I was wondering this or I thought this, that would be super helpful because I'm not on the text line 24-7 and you are listening 24-7. And so, yeah, that'd be super helpful. Um Jeff Woodkey, you say to yourself, I don't know Jeff Woodkey, which makes me kind of sad that we don't remember him. Um, Jeff Woodkey, um, an American aid worker who was um, taken hostage in West Africa, the, the nation of Niger, more than six years ago now, um, he has been released. Um, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan actually was in Niger. Um, We don't know that this was one of the things that he was working on, but, you know, Jake Sullivan came home and a couple of days later, uh, Jeff Woodkey was released by the terrorist network that um, took him hostage. And uh, he was, we know, being ultimately held um, in uh, Burkina Faso, released outside of Niger in the Mali Burkina Faso area. Um, and, and you say to yourself, wow, I wonder how many Jeff Woodkeys there are out there around the world. Um, how many Americans are wrongfully detained, kidnapped, being held as hostages around the world? Um, the number's actually like pretty high. Um, let me see if we have any sort of like recent count. It's up over 60. I know that. Um, and when we talk about um, Americans being, you know, held around the world for, you know, any number of reasons, like we talked a lot about um, uh, Brittany Griner. You'll remember her name. Um, but we've got 11 dis- different cases in which uh, Americans are not only considered wrongfully detained, but there's very credible Um, information about their innocence. They're being held solely because they're an American. Um, And so when you when you think about um, Paul Whelan, who continues to be detained in Russia, or you think about Mark Fogel, um, held prisoner in Russia um, since last year, an American school teacher, 61 years old, sentenced to 14 years in prison um, because he had medically prescribed cannabis in his possession. just let's be mindful of each and all of these people. And as I read their names, let's just be lifting them up in prayer. Austin Tice, Paul Overby, Samak Namazi, Maj Kalamaz, Walid Fatihi, Paul Whalen, Kai Lee, Aziza El Youssef, 
Salah Ahadar, Badal Al-Ibrahim, Paul Rusasenbinger, Alina Lopez, Aaron Berry, Luke Denman, Mark Swadden, Sahab Dalihi, Amid Saraji, Zach Shaheen, uh, <clears throat> Evan Hernandez, Theory Sang, Mark Fogel, John Cow, David Lynn, Murad Tabaz, Bakar Namazi. I want you to think about those individuals. I want you to think about their families. I want you to think about the people who love them best in the world. I want you to think about um, the fact that God sees them. He knows exactly where they are. He knows the circumstances of their life. And he knows the situation of their imprisonment. He also knows the terms of their release. He knows the when and the where and the how and the the for how long. And so let's just be um, praying that these individuals would know that God knows, that they would have a sense today, that God sees them, that they are not forgotten, that they are not unaccounted for. And then let's um, let's be praying that we, the people, Um, would be the people for people who are our people. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Um, all right, let me uh, lift up a prayer this morning for sister, our sister in Christ, Virginia, who is a faithful listener here. Um, she's just like you, right? She's, um, she's listening to Mornings with Carmen, and she says, Hey, I'm a living stone, but I have a medical condition that keeps me isolated from being in large public gatherings. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the body, but I'm housebound. It's a beautiful exhortation about um, the church, um, and then she says, it just can't be me. And so I'm very discouraged. Virginia, don't be discouraged. You are a living stone, no less than I am a living stone. Um, and you are being built up as a member of the body of Christ in in uh, in ways that are significant and substantial. My guess is you have a prayer ministry that far exceeds mine. My guess is you have a concern um, for people who feel disconnected far more acutely than I do. You yourself are a living stone, and in whatever way it is that God is calling you to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him today, offer those spiritual sacrifices. And whatever way God provides for you to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, then Virginia, do it. Do it in prayer. Do it through texting other people. Give them a call. Um, You are an essential member of the body of Christ in the world today. We are a people that includes you as a living stone. And let me say, um, if you are a member of the body of Christ that has the ability to go and speak to, even if through the door, a person who is a member of the body of Christ where you live, who is housebound, then let me encourage you to do that today. Reach out to somebody who you know, who is a living stone, who is currently feeling disconnected and homebound and discouraged. Let us be people who encourage one another today. Other members of this chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of God's own possession, let's be sure that we reach out today in, um, in ways that are significant to people who feel disconnected. Let them not 
continue to feel forgotten or discouraged. We all have hope. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.